Good morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Mark 4, 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to King's Church. We're so excited to have you here this morning. My name is Stephen Coffinrath. I'm the pastor here. And um, as you just heard, we have a, a big chunk of scripture that we're going through. Ryan, thank you for uh, enduring through that large, long passage. Uh, I really owe you a lot for that, so I appreciate it. Thanks for standing up with us, too, guys. Um, hey, so this is actually our first kind of real parable uh, that we're getting to here in the Gospel of Mark. And we've uh, seen Jesus do this a couple times before in regards to talking about parables or examples or illustrations. Um, but this is kind of a, a famous story. This is a, a well-known, maybe you even heard it preached before, about this parable of the sower. And this parable, as you just heard, it illustrates the importance of hearing about Jesus the right way, uh, accepting the work of Jesus and allowing his kingdom to take root and grow in your heart and to have there be spiritual fruit as a result of, of hearing the, the word. And so here's the roadmap that I want to cover uh, this morning just so that you know where I'm going. Um, kind of three big, big things we're going to talk about. First of all, the nature of parables. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about parables in general for just a second. Uh, the sower and the seed... 
um, kind of those, those, those parts of the story, and then the four types of soil. So nature of parables, the sower and the seed, and four types of soil. So before we jump into the meaning of this parable, I think it's important that we talk about parables uh, a, a bit um, in general first. So the nature of parables, let me start off by saying this. <clears throat> it might take some unpacking and realizing that parables are not maybe the thing that you think that they are. Uh, I think that it's easy for us to be conditioned to think about parables in a very specific kind of general way. You may associate parables in the Bible with like Aesop's fables, uh, fables uh, or sermon illustrations or kind of campfire stories. Those are kind of the things that maybe some of us as, as Christians think about parables. And so we read kind of these stories and they're interesting and intriguing and kind of bring you in a little bit. And I understand how we might think about that in in that manner, but my hope is to actually reframe that idea in the next few minutes. And fortunately, I believe that Jesus desires this same type of clarity because he actually talks about this in the middle of that passage. And so let's tackle those verses first because I believe the verses 10 through 12 really unpacks what what is happening here in regards to parables. So look at verse uh, 10 of Mark 4. Uh, And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So we've been talking about the last few weeks how Jesus continues to kind of draw these lines in the sand. Uh, he's, he's trying to establish who is for him and who is against him in, in many ways, those who are opposed to him and those who are kind of in his camp. And I mentioned this a few weeks back, but there is, there's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. There just isn't. You can't think of him as a nice guy, good teacher, because anyone who actually hears what he's saying is forced to make a decision about who he is. And so this tension extends to parables. Uh, This tension extends to what we're covering this morning. On face value, Jesus may use parables as a way that a preacher would use an illustration, right? Like to say, it's kind of like this, and then you kind of tell your story from your childhood, or you kind of have this illustration that you might make, and and hopefully that brings clarity to the conversation. But as I mentioned, plot twist, this is actually not the reason that Jesus uses parables. It's not about accessibility for him. According to verses 10 to 12, Jesus actually used parables to divide his audience. It's important that we understand this. Painting a picture that was polarizing. And so kind of imagine this for a second, that that we all look at the same picture and we see two different things completely, right? Like So back in 2015, uh, there was a picture that was floating around online that many of you probably spent your your, your break or your lunch talking with the coworkers about right? Like that dress, was it, was it blue or gold? Do you remember this whole, that, that picture, that whole conversation? And it's kind of crazy how you can look at the same picture and see something completely different, right? Like, like I have a lot of things in common with my friends, and, and we look at this picture, this dress, and we just come away with completely different conclusions. Like, how is that possible? Or maybe you've seen those kind of like those, those, those pictures that kind of trick your mind a little bit uh, of the young woman, or is it like an older woman, Right? Or is it that, that rabbit or the duck? I think I have that one up here, right? Is it, is it a rabbit? Is it a duck? What, what is going on there a little bit? So again, it's amazing how we can kind of look at the same picture and see different things. 
And some of us can't even see the thing that is the opposite thing. And so I just want to point out that this is more of the accurate dynamic of parables when it comes to Jesus and, and kind of why he's sharing them. And in verse 12, Jesus quotes from Isaiah, and he's borrowing from their shared experience that when it comes to the things of God, there are certain things that people will see and they'll hear it, but they don't understand what he's actually saying. And so looking back on the first three chapters of Mark, who is the one group that Jesus continues to point out this dynamic in? It's the scribes, right, and the Pharisees as well. It's this religious group who have seen everything. They've heard everything. They've studied things. They've gone to school for these things. They're academic experts, but they don't actually see. They don't actually understand. And, and, and listen, this is, continues to be kind of a, a takeaway for all of us that we can be around the things of God. We can be around church and grow up in a Christian home and still have nothing uh, in, in terms of a relationship with Jesus. And that's a terrifying reality that many of us might be walking through our life thinking that we're like teen God when in fact God doesn't even know who we are in relationship and in intimacy. So the, the purpose of this parable is twofold. It's to simultaneously let some people in and encourage them and embolden them and, and to really teach them. And at the same time, keep others out because their hearts are already hardened towards Jesus. And so this parable is used simultaneously, kind of like a turnstile that, that turns both ways. It's meant to divide the group up. Like a, a good, loving shepherd would separate sheep and goat. Right? So to one group, verse 11, he says, you guys, my disciples, you guys are in this favored position. He says in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And because of their learning, because of their walking alongside Jesus, because of their relationship with him, they have a front row seat to what actually the kingdom of God actually is. And he's going to say that. I mean, the kingdom is not a military campaign. It's not a restoration to the glory days of Israel and King David, but it's a secret kingdom at work within the life of the believer. And But for everybody else, the words of Isaiah apply. And I've read them already, and I'll read them again. They may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Uh, two just final thoughts about this first kind of point. Really, as we look at parables throughout the Gospels, as we consider the parables and how this could possibly apply to our own personal life, uh, the first thing I want you to remember is the parables were meant to provoke deeper thinking. Okay, so there should be this sense that like we hear a parable and we don't necessarily just understand it right away. We walk away and we think about it and we ruminate on it and we pray about it and we write some down some thoughts. And this is descriptive for the disciples and the crowds. But it's also instructive for us because the reality is for all of us, spiritual things are at times hard to understand, right? Like sometimes, I've oftentimes, and you have too, opened up your Bible and read something, you're like, what did I just read? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? How does that make sense for me? And listen, you're in good, good company if that's, if that's been your experience as well. And in fact, you may be exactly where God wants you because some of things are meant to be understood the first time. Some things, though, are meant to be wrestled over, over years, and understood over time as we grow as people, as we grow in our spirituality and sanctification. 
And so perhaps you and I more often should go home from church and walk away kind of scratching our heads a little bit. Because I think there's this kind of spiritual pride that says, yeah, I, I understand what's being said. I, I write my notes and I kind of highlight those verses and I walk away thinking, yeah, I get it. But I, I think that parables are meant to slow us down and help us remember there are times where we read the Bible and we should walk away really thinking and praying about what we heard. And it's like, God, what does this mean for me? How does this apply to me? The second thing I want you to understand about parables in general is that parables can serve as a DTR or to find the relationship moment. Has anybody ever had a DTR before? Be honest. Raise your hands. DTR. Okay, so a DTR, uh, this is, there's a point in every relationship, right, where you have a DTR, where you have to define the relationship. There's this trajectory of like, okay, where are we headed? And it usually happens like at 11 p.m. at night, and you're sitting in a driveway, and you're like, why won't you meet my parents, right? Like, what, what is the deal with that? And you're, you're, you're thinking through all these, like, these next steps of, like, how do we actually legitimize this relationship? Are we on the same page? Are we heading in the same direction when it comes to this relationship? And parables are this gut check. It's this moment where it allows the, the crowd and the disciples to pause and consider, am I actually with Jesus or not? Let's define the relationship. Are we actually on the same page or not, or not? And parables cut through that ambiguity and clarify who is actually listening and understanding. All right, so that's the, the first point of this morning, this overview of parables. Because as we look at parable, a parable today and actually next Sunday as well, it's important to get our bearings. So let's look at this parable with the time we have left. It's been a few minutes so I'm going to read parts of the parable, and we'll skip the purpose because we've already covered that in the middle. So verse 3 of Mark chapter 4 says this, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And then he said, he who has ears, let him hear. In, in verse 14, we start to see some of the details of, of how this parable is meant to apply to us. And we start to see some of the the translation of it. And in verse 14, Jesus says, the sower sows the word. And so just to kind of define some of the terms here, as we understand the sower and the seed and their role in this parable, the seed represents the word of God, okay? The word of God. And the sower represents anyone who is sharing God's word with other people. So that means if you are giving biblical counsel to someone, you are the sower. If you're planting God's word, you are the sower. If you are a Christian parent trying to guide a, a child's heart towards the gospel, you are the sower planting God's truth. If you are a, a student talking to one of your friends about the Bible, you are the sower planting God's word. If you're a missionary or a pastor or a teacher, you get the idea. That's the, the role of the sower, planting the seed, which is God's word. And so in those days, farmers didn't plant wheat or other grain crops in rows like we see today. It's very efficient. Farming is very efficient today, right? Uh, back at that time, 
They would break the ground up, soften the soil with a wooden plow, and they scattered the seed by hand. And so oftentimes you'd see a farmer who would put a grain kind of bag on their shoulder. They would grab grain and just kind of throw it everywhere. Just throw it in big kind of gestures like that. And he'd walk around the field, and his field might be bordered by some type of fence or row or uh, thickets or thorns all around each side. But he, he wouldn't really conserve the seed. He would just throw it wherever he could, and wherever it landed, it landed. Uh, and that's something to realize here. As we think about God's word and applying this, this idea of the sower uh, throwing out seed, the seed goes everywhere. The seed goes everywhere. Every type of soil receives the seed. Everyone gets a chance to hear God's word. And this speaks to the preaching of the gospel, that Jesus, the original sower, and all future sowers of the gospel are not to discriminate in their sowing. In other words, everyone, everywhere, should have a chance to hear God's word. The word is the seed. The share of the word is the sower. But here's the thing. The fruitfulness of that seed growing is dependent on where the seed lands. So let's take a look at the soil. And I want to talk uh, the rest of our time just about these four types of soil. <coughs> now, a seed might look healthy. It might look potentially fruitful. But to see the full potential of the seed, the soil is the issue. This is where the rest of the parable will kind of highlight and point us towards. The right environment for the seed and the right environment for the word will produce fruit. Um, <coughs> excuse me. For, for runners or hikers, uh, neither of which I am in that camp, but um, there is an extreme emphasis put on footwear. Right? For those of you guys who run or hike, you're like, I have to have good boots. I have to have good shoes. Uh, if you're running, you're wearing running shoes. If you're hiking, you're at REI just staring at that wall of boots. Right? Like, there's this sense of, like, I have to wear the right thing on my feet. But what is equally important, if not more important, to the type of shoes you wear is the type of ground you're running or hiking on. If I were to take a walk outside... The speed and efficiency of my walk will be determined by what am I walking on. Am I walking on sidewalks? Am I walking on a big trampoline? Am I, am I walking on this gravel path? If it's pavement, I can move qu quickly, right? If it's gravel, I will move more slowly. It doesn't even matter what shoes I wear. I'll, I'll slow down. <coughs> and if it's marshland, it'll slow to a crawl. And the same can be said for the seed of the word of God. When it comes to the right heart, it can produce incredible results. In the wrong heart, however, it will produce very little. So four types of soil that Jesus points to in the telling of this parable. And the first thing we see is the hard heart. In verse 4 and also in verse 15, the seed is scattered on the footpath where the birds eat it. And Jesus explains in verse 15 that it is Satan who takes away the word. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So there would be these farms and villages and towns that were all kind of uh, connected by pathways for people and small wagons. So actually, I live here in nearby Ontario Ranch. There's this kind of dynamic at play still. There's all these new homes and new builds, but there's also actually 
uh, a bunch of older dirt roads and like a bunch of truck roads, as, as we kind of all know around here. And uh, there's a bunch of areas where multiple different like bike paths or walking paths. And there's like, these multi-use roads near farms. And so whenever there's a footpath, it's compacted. It becomes like sidewalk, right? It's very hard. And so birds would come along and they would follow the footpath and they would pick up and eat the seed. And so this footpath represents resistance. And there are those of us in this room, those of us in this world who are very hard-hearted when it comes to hearing God's word. The word of God doesn't penetrate our hearts at all. And this could be because of apathy or hostility, but either way, God's word is dropped and it just bounces right off. And it's easily picked up by the birds. This could be caused by a number of things. <clears throat> this could be caused by, by pride. Uh, that creates a hard heart or disappointment with how life has gone. These are all very easy prey for Satan. They may hear God's word, but they ignore it or forget it and move on. So that's the first type of soil, the hard-hearted soil. Number two is the shallow heart. A type of person or response to God's word is the shallow heart. We see this in verse 16. <clears throat> And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. <clears throat> Andy Gardner will tell you, nothing is more frustrating than soil that appears to be fertile and good and healthy and you dig a little deeper, and it's nothing but rocks and, and roots. And, and we all know people like this. Uh, especially nowadays, we, we, we take time to curate our, our own selves in this way, oftentimes. We appear to be one way, and yet if you dig under the surface a little bit, we have all kinds of stuff that we're dealing with, all kinds of hard-hearted rocks and roots. And since there's no depth, whatever is planted cannot last because it does not grow roots. The sun hits the, the ground, it dries up and dies. And this is hard to discern because at first, uh, this type of soil might take the seed and actually grow a little bit. There may actually be some growth right off the bat. And it, perhaps it looks good at first. And some people are like this with God's word. They, they hear the message. They hear God's word. Uh, they hear the biblical advice. They hear the gospel. And verse 16, actually, this is what's so tricky about this one. In verse 16, it says that they receive it with joy. Man, that's, that's hard to discern, right? Like if you were to talk to somebody who heard God's word and they received it with joy and you saw a little bit of fruit come out of their life spiritually, you would say, that's a believer, that's a Christian. And they buy a Bible and they go to church and they join a, a missional community or whatever and they, the sun, though, starts to beat hot against them. The world starts to give them a little bit of trouble. Maybe it's problems at home or work or finances, and they forget the gospel. Maybe they're persecuted or belittled for joining a church, and they forget the gospel. They're mocked for praying out loud. They don't stick to it. They fall away. And remember, this falling away isn't backsliding or losing salvation. These people, according to Scripture, were never, uh, were never a part of God's family to start with. They weren't saved to start with, and their response to God's truth was emotional. Now, we all know people like this. Maybe we've even gone through seasons of life where we have been these people, where we've heard God's truth, we've heard the gospel, we've heard some good godly advice from someone, 
and we take it and we start to kind of put the stuff into action and emotion a little bit, and yet that falls away after a while. And this is a warning for those of us who take the most important spiritual truth of, of who Jesus is, and we hear it for a while, we're fruitful, and yet we fall away after time. And in spite of that initial excitement, they ultimately will reject the gospel. So this is another type of soil, the shallow heart. There's two more that we'll walk through. Number three is the divided heart. The divided heart. The third person response that Jesus mentions is the divided heart. And it really is, is meant to, to, to really uh, point to the thorny ground. And, and others, verse 18, are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So like the previous, they hear God's word, but then it gets choked out, pushed out. And I think there's three things at play here. The first thing is God's word gets crowded out by the worries of this life. Uh, just to be honest, how many of you guys are worriers a little bit? You tend to worry about things. Yeah, I mean, there, I feel like the, the older I get, the more I kind of worry about stuff, right? There's just more things to think about, the more things that seem like they're at stake. And, and you start to worry about your, your health or money or your job or, you know, the, the country you live in or your family life. There are a lot of things to worry about in this day and age. And, and yet the Bible talks about how these worries begin to pull us away from God because our eyes aren't fixed on Christ any longer. Our eyes are fixed on the economy or, or illness. And so these type of people, this type of, of ground, uh, they serve their worries rather than serving the Lord. Uh, the second thing kind of under this umbrella, God's word gets crowded out by the lure of wealth. That's also what Jesus says in this parable, the, the lure of wealth, the love of money and wealth begins to crowd out God, and you begin to believe that this lie that if you have enough, you will be enough. And this affects your decision-making, and, and this lure for wealth has become a thorn or a weed, and it leaves no room for dependence on Christ. Uh, the third and final thing under this umbrella would be God's word gets crowded out by the desire for other things. It could be anything. Right? It's just a desire for anything that is not God primarily. It could be fishing or golfing or working in the yard or hanging out with family, reading books, just you know, relaxing, or, or even your work life. Right, Anything that competes with sitting at the feet of Christ. So can you do any of those things and be a Christian? Absolutely. I hope you do. But this is a classic case of making good things ultimate things. And in making your life so comfortable and fun and engaging and leisurely, man, I, I got to be honest, I, I can be guilty of this third one where I just, I like to be comfortable. Like, I, I like air conditioning. I like to, you know, just enjoy good meal or, or have a good chat with friends. And I enjoy that so much that sometimes I'm, I'm affected in a way where I don't see Christ as all. So do any of those three things describe you, friends, right? Like, Credited out by the worries of this life, credited out by the, the lure of wealth, or credited out by the desire for other things. Because the divided heart is really about being double-minded. You're not really settled on who you are spiritually. Matthew 7 says, they are trying to walk the broad path that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to life at the same time. It's just not possible. 
And so as you've heard from Jesus over and over again, you must choose. And when your heart is divided, there is no real fruit. We must be singularly passionate about Christ and Christ crucified. We must keep him at the center of all things. Otherwise, we are in danger of our hearts being divided by thorny ground. This brings us to the last response. And, and really, I hope what is, what is coming to bear in your own hearts as, as a fruitful heart. Number four, it's the fruitful heart. And we see this in verse 20. <clears throat> but those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. There's a, there's a marked difference between these people and the rest. With the fruitful heart, there's a submission and acceptance to God's word. They hear it, they, they listen, they see it, they see the truth, and they understand it and they accept it and allow God, uh, they, they submit to the Lord's work in, in their life. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. But we all, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the fruitful heart hears the word of God, and it impacts how you live, how you think, how you operate, and how you feel. And this, this acceptance is life-altering in comparison with the other types of soil. For those of you with a fruitful heart, this may be true of you. When it comes to God's, when it comes to the worries of life, God's word guides you through it. When it comes to the, the lure of, of wealth or things, God's word points you to what is truly valuable. When it comes to the desire for other things, God's word aligns those desires with God's desires. And so they don't just hear the word, they're transformed by the word. They're changed by the word forever. And this person will produce a heart or bear fruit. <clears throat> so friends, do you, do you want to know if your heart is fruitful? Just take a minute right now, just do kind of a self-inventory and think about that. Do, do I have a fruitful heart? When I hear God's word, do I not only hear it, but I understand it and allow it to have authority in my life? And, and then it produces something that would not be able to be produced otherwise if it were not God's word. A fruitful heart mourns over sin and is remorseful in repentance. A fruitful heart is action-oriented and loves to obey Jesus. It's not a, a chore or a burden to obey Christ, but you love to obey the voice of, of Jesus. A fruitful heart produces the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. They produce fruit in keeping with repentance. These believers will produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as it has been planted. I, I love that this is included because it reminds us that, that all the good things that we do in this life, all the things that seem kind of amazing, they, they're amazing because God has used the small bit that he's given you, and he's allowed that to be fruitful in ways that you would never comprehend. And it's God's work, not your own. And so this is a parable that Jesus shares with the crowd, with his opposition, and with his disciples. And this parable really defines what it really means to be a follower of Christ. So you may understand, but perhaps you're left with some questions about where to go from here. And as we close, I want to leave you with just some questions. 
If you want to be fruitful, and I, I think that every Christian wants to be fruitful, if you want to be spiritually fruitful, remember that fruitfulness usually occurs when two important things happen at the same time. Fruitfulness usually happens when there is receptive soil, which we, which we just talked about, receptive soil and overseeding. Fruitfulness occurs when there's plenty of overseeding, that's teaching, and a lot of receptive, receptive soil, which is listening. So overseeding means that we need to be reminded over and over and over again that the gospel is for us. We need to be overseeded in our lives. Um, if you've ever tried to grow a really plush lawn before, maybe I have some of you men's attention, right? Like, you guys ever tried to like grow a really nice green lawn? Um, you know, it just t- it takes it takes so much care, right? Like an overseeding and overwatering, and it's like all this time and effort into just simply have grass grow just a little bit, right? It's amazing that we spend all this time in order for that to happen. And our spiritual lives are the same way. We don't just need the sower to come one time, sow a few seeds, and walk away. We need to be overseeded over and over again. There needs to be this openness in our hearts to stay on this growth trajectory for the rest of our lives. And so that's true if you're nine years old or if you're 90 years old. You need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. It's not just for those who are our baby Christians or those of us who are outside of Christ. It's for those of us who have been a part of the family all of our lives. And we know the Bible verses and we know the theology and we have all that stuff lined up. We still need to be overseeded with the gospel. And secondly, we need this other thing to happen at the same time. We need to be actively receptive to that seed. And so let's let end at the beginning of Mark 4, verse 2. I want to point something out to you that we kind of just ran by. But if you look at Mark 4, verse 2, it says this, And he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching. And he said to them, Listen, behold. Now, you may know this already, but uh, Jesus is already talking. The crowd's already listening. And so why would he say, listen, behold? Well, it's because of what he's about to say is really important. And so if you have your Bible or a pen, even underline that phrase, many things, and, and listen and behold. Because, listen, we don't really like to listen, do we? For all this talk about being receptive in our hearts to the soil, we don't really enjoy listening. Most people aren't coming to God to listen to what he has to say to them. Most people don't come to church uh, to listen. They, they come to get a pep talk. They come to get a, a, some motivation for their life, right? They, they open up their Spotify playlist because they want to be encouraged and, and, and they want to be like pushed out in a way that they're inspired. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but oftentimes that comes with this posture of like, I don't need correction or instruction or insight. And Jesus knows our hearts and he has to remind us, listen, behold, Listen to what I'm about to say, because we do need course correction. We do need instruction. One of the minor themes in Mark is that the word of God is not our native tongue. Think about that for a minute. The kingdom of God is not our native kingdom. And this means that we have a lot of adjustments to make. And so for any of us who who read our Bibles or hear it preached, and we're like, yeah, yeah, makes sense. You're, You're lying to yourself. It doesn't make sense. It it takes adjusting and changing and our hearts to be transformed for our heart's reality to line up with what God is saying. This is not our native tongue. And so it requires 
change from us. We need to be taught many things, many things. We need fresh insight from Jesus. We need a lot of overseeding from Jesus. And remember, this applies if you're nine years old or if you're 90 years old. And let's never think that we come to the end of our need for Christ, the sower, the sower who keeps sowing the, the life of God within us. Jesus says to us, a fruitful life is not found in listening to yourself. In other words, just simply following your heart. Jesus also says fruitfulness is not even found in speaking to yourself. In other words, self-discipline. Fruitfulness is found in listening to his word, receiving the seed from his hand into the soil of your heart. And so let's pray and ask God to do that work in us this morning. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you have so clearly laid out what it means to be listening Christians. And, and God, I, I pray that we would be a church that would reflect a reality that, that there's no such thing as a non-listening Christian, that we would be Christians who are humble and open in posture. And as we hear the word of God, as we hear that, that good seed be dropped into our, our, our fertile hearts, Lord, God, that we would accept it, allow it to, to change us, that we would submit our lives to it. God, it takes, it takes us realizing that this doesn't come naturally to us. And so, Lord, that's why we pray and ask for your help. Holy Spirit, would you, would you do that work in our life this morning? Would you make these unclear things more clear? Would you give us strength and, and wisdom to walk out of this room in, in a way that would honor you and not ourselves? God, help us be good listeners. God, I pray for fruitfulness in our church. God, more than, more, than, more than anything, Lord, more, for, more than like just volunteers or financial stability or all the things that a new church could, could hope for, Lord, I pray for spiritual fruitfulness, that we would be a church known for, <clears throat> for growth um, in our own personal lives, uh, healthier marriages, healed marriages, um, restored relationships with kids, all because we spent time in your word. We love you and praise your name. Amen.